It's good to be with you guys this morning. I want to read our theme verse for our series here. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, talking about the wise men. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In this series titled The Gift, we're talking about the different gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus and the significance of those gifts and what they mean about Jesus, what they point to, what they symbolize, and also what that means for us and how we should respond. Today we're going to go over this last gift, the gift of gold. And the gift of gold symbolizes Jesus as king. But the issue we run into is we press against the idea of a king because it makes us uncomfortable. And let's be honest, kings aren't known for great things sometimes. But I'm going to make the argument, and it's the title of the message today, that we have a new king. A new king. Pray with me this morning. Lord, thank you so much for the kingship of Jesus. Thank you that we have a new thing happening inside of us today because of that gift. So God, we are so grateful for you. We're thankful for you. So Lord, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts, prepare our spirits for the message and for the words and for the Christmas story. We love you. We give you all the praise. And the church said, amen. Amen. Hey, greet somebody around you. Tell them how good they look on this Christmas Eve morning. the last few weeks, I have just been messing with your nativity scene. If you've been following along with this series and you've been here the last few weeks, I have royally jacked up your nativity scene. I've told you that there weren't three wise men. Some of you that are new are like, wait a second. Like, yeah, there weren't three wise men. There were three gifts. We automatically assume there were three wise men, but there was probably more than that. There was likely 12, maybe even more. They weren't just wise men. They were probably kings or people of authority. Uh, So kind of messing with that there. Um, We learned a few weeks ago that not only they weren't actually there for the nativity, they came a couple years later. They didn't just come right there. So like I know that I have messed with your stuff and I know that you're probably mad at me and I'm just thankful you came back after I've kind of jacked up your traditions. But I'm going to tell you up front, I'm going to mess with it just a little bit more today. Not too much, just a little bit, just a little bit. But the last few weeks, we've talked about these gifts and what they represent about Jesus. And we learned in week one that uh, frankincense represents Jesus as the high priest, meaning he goes before us and he prepares the way for us, like the high priest would in the ancient world. So the high priest would do that. Jesus told us and and affirmed to us that we can approach the throne of, of mercy and grace not of God's wrath, but of mercy and grace, we can approach that throne with confidence. Why? Because Jesus has made that way possible. And then we learned last week that Jesus was the suffering servant. The way he built that bridge was with his blood and with his own sacrifice. And we learned that since he's the suffering servant, that if we're to be Jesus followers, that means that we are to serve those around us. And he demonstrates that with the way that he would wash his disciples Feet. So we, we've seen those two things and we understand that. Today, like I said before, we're covering Jesus as king. 
But again, the, the rub and the tension for every one of us in this room is nobody wants a king. Nobody wants a king and nobody wants to be ruled over. Nobody's interested in that. In fact, let's be honest for just a second. We have a country today because we said no to the king. Isn't that true? We have a country because we didn't want a king. And when they said, okay, we need to set up a new government, the old founding fathers got together and said, okay, we got to come up with something else because we ain't doing a king again. That didn't work. And nobody, like, and even when we think about kings and we read about kings, there's not often a positive feeling associated with somebody that's in the position of king. Because a lot of times and, and, and often we think that when somebody's a king, they're a threat to our independence and they are oppressive is another way that we think about kings and they're, they're hurtful and they cause pain for their people. I mean, when you think of medieval kings, you think about that. When you hear somebody today, when you hear somebody in the uh, rest of the world say, yeah, there's a king over this country, you immediately go, uh, what? That's, I don't want to live where there's a king. I want to live where there's like a Congress and a parliament or a prime minister or a president. I don't want to live where there's a king because then that means that whatever they say goes and they can do whatever they want and they can oppress and they can hurt and, and I don't want any part of that. And for a lot of us, we hear that and we immediately press against this idea of Jesus as the king. And this story, as I'm going to make a case here, we don't have the standard king. We have a new king. He actually sets the precedence for what a king should do and how a king should behave and what it's going to look like if we actually follow him. Again, the rub is, are we going to do that? But this story starts not like a traditional king story. Normally, kings are born from queens. There's a royal bloodline that that happens through. Normally, you know, the queen gets pregnant. It's a big to-do. The whole kingdom pays attention. Everybody takes a day off when the, king, when the queen gets pregnant. It, it, it's a big, big deal. And everybody's attention is on the birth of the new king. But in this story, that's not how it happens. Not only that, this king didn't arrive the way other kings arrived, but he also didn't do things that other kings did. He was born to a young 13-year-old girl who was not a princess. Kings are supposed to come from princesses who become queens. Not this story, not Jesus. And normally they come from royal towns too. That's supposed to be part of it. But this story is, is the girls from a small town in the armpit of the Roman Empire called Nazareth. Even one point in the Gospels, a man remarks where Jesus is from and says, can anything good come from Nazareth? So people are aware of this tiny little town that has meaning, little meaning or significance at all. And this young girl was betrothed and committed to marry a local carpenter named Joseph. And they probably thought they would have a normal life. She's expecting a normal life. After they get married, they're going to have kids. After they have kids, you know, they're going to go and have, you know, the other kids are going to become carpenters. And it would be a kind of insignificant. Nobody's going to write books about her. Nobody's going to talk about her. But uh, it would have been a good life for her and it would have been a good life for Joseph as well. And all that was going to be kind of the stage. That's what was supposed to happen until an angel arrives. And when this angel arrives, he arrives in, in profound fashion, big deal, 
gets her attention right away. When this angel arrives, he says this, Greetings you who are highly favored. Saying to Mary, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary, because she's a normal human, was greatly troubled at this greeting and his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Because everywhere in the Bible that an angel appears, people are terrified. It's not a a normal occurrence to just be like, oh, you know, it's an angel, it's cool, it's whatever. Like, no, it's a big deal. The angel arrives, so Mary's afraid, and then he, he immediately says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. We're going to talk about why she found favor in a moment. You will conceive, he says, and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. That was not... In her plans. That was not what she was expecting. That was not, I bet that if she had the option, she probably wouldn't have written it out. She wouldn't have been like, yeah, this is what I want. I want to be the, the mother of God. Like that's, she wouldn't have done that. She wouldn't have even had a category for that. She wouldn't have known what to do with it. And she's probably struggling with all the same things that you're thinking about. There's social pressures associated with Mary because she was going to be, this is what the angel said, you're going to be a mother before you are a wife. In that culture, that was not acceptable. In that culture, you were a wife and then you were a mother and there was an order that things went. And if you went out of that order in that culture, you were shamed and removed and nobody was interested in in kind of being around you. And then if you went out of that order, if you went mom first, good luck finding that second part. So, so here we are struggling. Mary gets this, this reality thrown on her that she's going to be the mother of a king. She has no category for it. She has no understanding. There's no way she can kind of balance this and figure this out. And then they're using real king language too. Your kingdom, throne of heaven, I mean, not only are we using king language, we're using like big king, like we're talking like, you're you talking like God is involved here somehow. Like you're saying that like God is, and she is probably blown away the same way that every one of us is when we think about it that way. Mary, you're going to carry the king, the king who's going to change and is going to change everything. But here's the thing, here's the thing. She had no idea the things this king would do for all people. She had no idea the way he would change the world and how much better it would be because he arrived. How could she have known? How could she have known that she was carrying a king that would significantly change everything. How could she have a category for that and and what on earth was she supposed to do with that? And she asked the same questions that we would ask. How can this happen? I haven't been with anybody yet. I don't know. What are you trying to say? And Gabriel says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, to which 
her response is almost like, Gabriel, this is unbelievable. And I think he, I think he smiles. And I think he says, for no word from God will ever fail. I think with a smile on his face, he reminds her, this is from the Lord and it won't fail. And then listen to her response. Everything has shifted for her. Her whole life has been shaken up. Everything's been, been mixed up and messed up. And, and, and everything Gabriel says is just shifting every part of her life now. Listen to her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I don't fully understand, Lord, but I trust you. I don't fully understand, but I trust you. I can't explain it. I don't have a reason for it. I'm not even sure how it's going to happen. But Lord, I trust you. And this, again, wasn't in her plan. She was going to marry Joey, and, and she was, they were going to have a carpenter business. You know, that's what, he, it's what he was. That's what they were going to do. They were, not only was she going to marry Joey, but they had lots of kids, and they were, it was going to be great. She had the engagement photos ready, you know, like the Facebook post, the Instagram. The dress was picked out like it was ready. And then the angel comes and says, hold on real quick. Change of plans. Shift for just a second. And her response is astounding. Every time I read it, her response builds my faith. Because in the midst, looking square down, a complete life change, she says, hey, you know what? I am your servant. Whatever it is that you would have for me. Now place yourself in that position for just a moment. Maybe not exactly in her position, carrying the Son of God, but place yourself in her position where maybe God has shifted the, the wheels a little bit on you. Maybe he's shifted the path. Maybe he's changed direction on you. Maybe he's shifted something for you, and he, you just are frustrated. Or maybe you're confused, or maybe you just are having issues figuring out, God, what are you doing? Or maybe you're back saying, I don't know how we're going to do this, God. I don't know how this is going to happen. Maybe you've been there in the past, and I just want to ask this question, would you respond the way Mary responded? If God was to show up tomorrow and change everything that you've done and shift all of your plans, would you respond the way Mary responded? I'm meddling on Christmas Eve. I'll keep moving. Not supposed to do that, Pastor. You're supposed to tell them about Jesus, give them a high five, and get them out the door. Luke chapter 2, we continue with the Christmas story. Nine months later, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Our man Joey, he was from Bethlehem, so he and his family went back to Bethlehem. When they went back to Bethlehem, that's where they were supposed to take the census. Now, Bethlehem from Nazareth, which is where Mary and Joseph started, is about 90 miles. They didn't have Teslas or Ford pickup trucks back then, so the way they got around was either walking or if you have an eight-month pregnant wife, you put her on a donkey. You don't have her walk that whole way. Now, it shouldn't come as a surprise that she had the baby at the end of the trip. 
She was on a donkey for 90 miles doing nothing but this. Gravity's going to win, okay? So she gets there, and right when she arrives, 90 miles, so this is a long trip. Right when she arrives, while they were there, Luke tells us, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so this is what I need you to do. I need you guys, can you guys help me preach this message for just a second? Is that okay? That's what I need you guys to do. I need you to look at your neighbor and I need you to tell him up front, tell him, say, preacher is sorry. Tell him, tell your neighbor right now. Okay, preacher is sorry. Okay. Because I'm going to mess your nativity scene up real bad here in just a second, okay? So if you have a paper Bible, when you get to this verse, you, if you have an older paper Bible, it says there was no guest room available for, what's the word? In the inn. In the inn. In the inn. She cheated. She was at the nine. She already knows the answer. I already elbowed her. You already elbowed her? You tell her, get out of here. Uh, there's no space in the inn is what it says. Except that word in the Greek is not in. That word in the Greek is guest room. And that word is specifically attached to a house. So it's a guest room inside of a house. Later in Luke's gospel, they do use the correct word for in, and that's when the good Samaritan places the victim in the inn and he pays for him. You Bible scholars know that. So that Greek word is the inn. The word, the Greek word here is guest room that would normally be attached to a house, again, saying a family. Now track with me here. You guys are really smart. Joseph went back to Bethlehem because he was from Bethlehem, right? It would make sense if he had family in Bethlehem, would it not? It would make sense. And in that culture, in the first century, and even today in the Middle Eastern culture, the idea of hospitality is top of the line. It's one of the key things they are part of. Some of you guys that have seen Lone Survivor know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's still part of their society today. It was still part of their society back then as well. And in this part, it makes sense that Jesus was actually born in a house where there was no guest room available. You go, well, where did the manger come from? Well, see, in these houses, they were typically built in two levels. The top level was where the family lived. The bottom level was where the animals were. They would bring the animals inside because you got to protect them from predators and you got to protect them from thieves. And we're going to see in just a minute where the shepherds were out in the fields with their flocks. Why would they do that? Because they didn't have a space big enough to bring them inside. So, they would bring the animals in to the bottom of the house. They would climb a ladder, and the people lived up top, away from the animals, and then the animals were down low, and they'd bring them in to keep them out of the elements, to keep them safe from predators, to keep them safe from, th from people stealing them. Now, in all of that, they arrive, and it's probably not just Joey and Mary. It's probably like a couple of his family members, right? Probably like his brothers, probably other family members, because Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken, so everybody had to go back to their home of origin. So there's probably more than just Mary and Joseph in that house, and in that space, because hospitality is key. You're not letting anybody stay out in the, in the wilderness. So now, that being said, how many grandparents would let their 
daughter-in-law have a baby out in a cave. Show hand. I'm just kidding. Actually, don't do that. I did that last Sunday. Don't do that. Okay? Don't look around and nudge anybody. Don't say, yeah, I'd let my daughter-in-law have the baby outside. Right? Don't do that. But, I mean, think about it. Would you really let that happen? I mean, sure, even if she had it out of wedlock, would you let that happen? Would you be like, no, go out to the, the out there? No. And we don't even have as high hospitality standards as they do in the Middle East, and certainly as the Jewish people did in the first century. So Jesus probably wasn't born in a cave. I know you've probably heard that before. He was born in a cave. He probably wasn't born in a cave. And then your neat little nativity scene that you have at home that has, you know, the two sticks and then the one, you know, the roof, the perfect, it's the perfect 45-degree angle roof. And then you've got the great little animals gathered around, and they're all quiet. You know, everybody's real quiet, silent night. And then the angels up above singing the whole time. And then the stars over this way. And then you've got the wise men, and they weren't there until he was like two. But... Um, You've got this manger scene. It is probably not the most accurate. Now, you keep your nativity scene. Don't you dare take it down because the preacher said it. Don't do it because you know, I'm not getting in trouble and don't send me any hateful email. I'm not reading them, okay? just want to let you know I'm not reading them. It'll go to my, my busy box. But the, the, uh, the, the, the point is, is in this scene, this scene, I want you to get it. It's not as clean as your nativity scene makes it out to be. It's not as clean and buttoned up as we like it in Western culture. In Western culture, we like it neat and clean and buttoned up, don't we? I mean, we like it well buttoned up. I want the space vacuumed. I want baby Jesus already clean. I don't want him to look like a lizard, right? I want him cleaned off. I want him wiped off. I want him sitting nicely in the manger. And the manger can't look like a trough. It's got to be a wood thing that's perfect 45-degree angle that perfectly nestles the baby Jesus with his cloth in there. Right? Have you noticed that? I want it like that. I don't want it like how it probably was. And in reality, and that's fine. That's fine. We enjoy our things, and as time goes on, we, you know, I just want to let you know that the historicity of your nativity scene at home, sitting on your coffee table, may not be the most accurate. But if we keep that in mind the whole time, we miss one of the amazing parts of this moment. Because the amazing parts of this moment wasn't that it was a silent night. It was not silent. Anybody that's been around when a baby is born, it's not silent. It's not silent at all. And this house wasn't just empty. It wasn't like Mary was left alone and nobody was there. She probably had the women and the family with her. Because the men ain't doing none of that. They're staying upstairs. That ain't happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> Men ain't going downstairs, the men are staying upstairs, and the ladies are going down, and they're like, well, why would they do it down with the animals? Well, for those of you that have had babies and been part of that, it's not exactly the cleanest process in the world. And you don't want that upstairs where the rest of the family is, and because there's so many of them, we're probably going to take that downstairs where there's, there's hay and there's already animal things, so we can clean it up real easy, just sweep everything out, Right? So it logically makes sense that this is the way that it happens. And when scholars look at it, they go, yeah, Mary probably had the baby on the bottom floor with the animals around. That part's true. And she probably wasn't alone. She probably had the ladies from her family there encouraging her and with her. And it surely wasn't a silent night. It was honestly probably chaotic. It was probably scary. It was... I mean, she's a young teenager having a, a child with family that she's likely never met. She's likely never met Joseph's family. She just knows this is Aunt Susie, get to know each other, have the baby, right? Like, that's all she knows. So you, this is not this clean, beautiful nativity scene. This is a chaotic scene, and that's where the king comes into the world. 
And what's amazing about it is it's almost like that the king can come into your life when it's all chaotic too, in the same way that he came into creation. If he wanted to do it with Hosanna, Hosanna, and people laying palm trees down for Mary the way they did when he, on Palm Sunday, he could have done that, but he didn't. He entered into the world through the chaos that every human enters the world and enters into a night that wasn't so silent, but a night that was so holy and so precious. That's how Jesus arrives. And Luke continues to tell us the story. He says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Again, why were they living out in the fields? They didn't have a house big enough to bring all their animals in. Rich people had that. So guess what? When you were a shepherd, you stayed out with your flock. That's what you did. You had to protect them from the wolves and from the animals and from the elements. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Because everybody's scared when they see an angel. Ain't nobody excited the way you are when you put your angel on the top of the tree. (laughs) Ain't nobody excited... When the angel shows up the way we are when we put him on top of the tree. But it is truly terrifying. And when you read in the Bible and Revelation and then again in the Old Testament, when you see the angels, everybody's like, (gasps) because it's terrifying, it's scary. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, because we just got to lead with that every time. I know I'm big and scary, but don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Then he says this, I bring good news that will cause great joy for all people. I, will, I, I bring good news that will cause great joy. For who? For the Jews? No, not just for the Jews. Hold on. For the Gentiles? No, not just for the Gentiles. Hold on. For the Pharisees? No, not just for the Pharisees. For the religious leaders? No, not just for the religious leaders. Um, so who do you bring this news for? I bring it for all people, the angel says. Everybody can have this good news. Everybody can have this good news. And of course, the the shepherds think the same thing. They go, what's the good news? They said, today, the angel says, in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. They hid all of the big ticket titles from the Old Testament. Hit them all. He's Messiah, Lord, from the town of David, and he's a Savior, Good news, great joy for all people. This will be a sign to you, he says. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And the shepherds search for Jesus. And they find him. And they, when they find him, their response to him was as astounding as Mary's response. They respond with worship. They worship him when they find him in a manger. They probably either found him that evening or the next morning. You can imagine Mary was so excited for all the company. And little did they know, little did they know, that the light of the world had been born that evening and that the king that would change everything had just come into the world. The light of the world had arrived. And it was good news of great joy for all people.
But not everyone responded the way that the shepherds responded. Not everyone responded the way that the magi would respond. Not everyone was joyful. The magi see the star. They head towards the kingdom of Judah or Judea because they they want to find the king. They find King Herod because King Herod was a you know king of the Jews at the time, quote unquote, and he was kind of like a minor king that the Romans allowed to be in authority to kind of keep the peace. And so the Magi arrive to talk to King Herod because surely he's aware of this prophecy. Surely he's aware of the king. Surely he's aware of some of this, these things that kind of created a ruffle. And they approach him and they say, hey, we want to find this king, this Messiah, this Lord. You've heard the prophecy, I'm sure, King Herod. And so he sent them to Bethlehem. King Herod sent them to Bethlehem because he knew there was something that happened to Bethlehem a couple years ago. In fact, uh, they believe that Jesus and his family stayed in Bethlehem because Joseph had family in Bethlehem. So they had the baby. They stayed in Bethlehem probably set up that carpenter business they were looking for, right? They, they live in life a little bit. About two years go by, nothing crazy and significant since the birth of Christ and the angel and the shepherds and all of that, but they probably had some murmurs because that's what happens in small towns. Well, that was weird. Did you guys see the night he was born? I've heard some things about that kid. I mean, the shepherds came and said something and There's been a few other people probably interested in him. So surely Herod has heard this, and plus the prophecy says from Bethlehem. And so he sent them to Bethlehem and tell the the wise men, he says, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. And so the Magi do that. They go to Bethlehem, they ask around, they, they figure out where Jesus is, and, and they bow down and, and they worship him. And in, in worshiping him, they didn't go back to King Herod because King Herod had hatched a plan, and his plan was to go and kill this king because that's what people do when they are afraid to release control of something. That's what people do when they feel like somebody is threatening their freedom. That's what they do when they feel like there's a threat to their life or a threat to something they've built and something they've worked so hard on. King Herod responds with complete and total rejection of Jesus. Luckily, Joseph receives a dream And when he receives the dream, he takes his family to Egypt to flee from King Herod because King Herod would then go on to kill all the boys that were around two years of age in Bethlehem and the surrounding area. Why? Because he couldn't have another king. He was the only king. And if I just maybe so bold this morning, I would argue that there's a little bit of King Herod inside of all of us. There's a little bit of the king that doesn't want to give Jesus any purchase in our kingdom. There's a a little bit of him inside of us that resists Jesus' authority and resists the things that Jesus offers because I'm afraid, just the same way King Herod was, of what it might cost me. 
but Brandon, I've built all this. Brandon, I've done all these things. Look at all these things that I've accomplished. Look at this reputation I've built, all this stuff. And there's a fear that if I allow Jesus, if I allow Jesus in, if I acknowledge his kingship, if I place him on the proper throne in my life, that it's going to cost me something. And for some of us, that's a price too large for us to pay. And the funny thing is, we don't even know what price that could be. But for, but for most of us, like King Herod, it's just so uncomfortable, the idea of placing somebody like that in our life and turning the reins of the kingdom of our life over to him is terrifying. But the angel said that it was good news of great joy. Well, if it's good news of great joy, then turning the, key, the keys of our kingdom over to him shouldn't be something we're afraid of. And it's good news of great joy for all people because he, through his sacrifice, built the bridge between humanity and God. And because of that sacrifice, you and I get to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father because of that. And that's the good news of great joy. And when you place Jesus on the proper place in your life and on the throne of your life, that bridge becomes a reality for you. And constantly you're able to be in connection with your Father. For some of you, you've never done that. And the idea of it's scary because you're afraid of what Jesus might ask for. Will that mean I have to sh stop spending my money the way that I want to? Will, will that mean I need to, to, to stop living the way that I am right now? Does that mean that I, that I can't have that house? Does that mean I can't have that car? Does that mean I need to find another job? I mean, that's kind of scary. What are you trying to say? I mean, if I give Jesus the throne of my life, Brandon, that's a big ask. It is. But I think the reward is far, far larger. And the reward is definitely worth the payoff. Because here's what I've noticed. The only thing, this is what I've found. The things Jesus asks you to give up are typically the things that are not good for you anyway. Typically the things that Jesus says, hey, maybe we need to take that out of the kingdom, aren't something that you should have in there anyway. And let's be honest, some of the things that you're holding on to that you refuse to let go of, you kind of want to get rid of it anyway, right? You don't want it around you. You don't want it in there, but here we are. I guess I got it. I guess I just kind of stuck with this problem here. And this is the amazing thing about this king. This is why this is a new king. This is why the king is so different. It's because unlike earthly kings who make demands and oppress and say, here's the decree that has been issued and you must follow it and you must do this. Jesus instead says, you get to choose. You get to choose. You get to choose whether you want to accept him and place him on. I mean, what other king allows us to choose whether we acknowledge his kingship? What other king does that? Not only that, what other king would leave the throne for the subjects? of the kingdom? What other king would give his life for the kingdom? 
Most often, they're willing to sacrifice the subjects to protect themselves, not our king. Our king said, I'll go first and sacrifice myself so they don't have to. But he doesn't force us to follow. He doesn't force us to accept him. He gives us the option. And we're faced with two options here. And we've seen them play out in the Christmas story. There's King Herod, who immediately rejects Jesus, and not only rejects him, but wants to kill him and remove him from ever having authority in his life. And then on the other hand, we have the wise men, who went searching and seeking and then worshipped the Lord and accepted him. Here's the amazing part. You get to choose. You get to choose which one you want to take, which path you want to take. And I'll tell you up front, Jesus is not going to force his way into your kingdom. Just like King Herod, if you reject, he will go and leave you to your tiny little kingdom in Judea. He'll leave you to your tiny little kingdom. He'll leave you to what you've built. He'll leave you to what you spent so much time and energy on. He'll leave you to that. He absolutely will leave you to that. But you won't have eternity with that. You won't have a relationship with him with that. You won't have connection with your heavenly father that you've been wanting for so long with that. For many of us, we've never accepted Jesus. We've never come to that place where we actually understand him as king. Maybe that's you today and you're interested in that. Or maybe you're a Jesus follower in the room and, and through talking through some of this and unpacking some of this, we've come to realize that there's actually an area of our life that we won't give him. An area of our life that we kind of keep in our back pocket, you know, talk about it's secret. Nobody sees it. They only see the front. We don't want to see, I don't want, and I certainly don't want Jesus messing around with that other area of my life. I kind of want him, like I like my Jesus in a box, right? He shows up the box on Sunday, he come in the church, got the box. He's here, he's where I need him. Every time I need him, I go and I like knock on the door. Hey, Jesus, need a little help. Okay, now Jesus, I'm ready to, okay, go back in your box. Back in your box, Jesus, and then I'll come back when things are bad again. Or maybe you're a Jesus follower, and right now during the service, Jesus just dropped the thing, the area that you didn't even recognize you were protecting, but you've been protecting it. You've been holding on to it, saying, no, 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 Lord, you can't have that. You certainly can't have that. And maybe he just illuminated something in your life that he's saying, hey, hey, let me have that as part of the kingdom. Because again, he won't force it. If you're willing and you're interested in accepting Christ for the first time or interested in accepting and placing him as the king over your life, I'm going to make it very easy for you. I'm going to give you three simple things to say in a prayer. The first is, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Second thing you say is, Lord, I believe you. Lord, I believe you. And the last one is, Lord, I follow you. I follow you. 
I'm going to do as you say to do. And I'm going to take myself off the throne and I'm going to put you in your rightful place as the Lord of my life and the King of my life. So we're going to have a moment of prayer here where we're going to give people the opportunity to accept Jesus. And as we do that, I want you to honestly answer this question. How do you respond to the arrival of the king? I've laid it out. Do you respond to the arrival of the king the way the Magi did? Oh, we've got to find him. I've got to find him. I've got to get there. And then when I get there, I've got to worship him. Like, I've just got to go find him. I'm going to search. I've got to find Jesus. Is that how we respond? Or is it King Herod? I've got to find him. And then when I do, I've got to get him out of my life. I've got to reject him. I've got to push him away because he's following him. is going to cost me something. And I'm not ready to pay it. So, how do you respond to the arrival? of the King this Christmas season. So with that, let's pray. Lord, there are some of us in this room today that hear that question and acknowledge that we need you and acknowledge and are ready to place you on the throne of our life. So Heavenly Father, I pray with those people today. Lord, we pray and acknowledge that we need you Lord, we acknowledge not only that we need you, we acknowledge that we believe you, that you were the Son of God, that you came to build the bridge between humanity and our Heavenly Father. And Lord, we commit our lives to follow you and keep you on the throne of our life. And Lord, there are some in the room today that have already made that commitment, but they've realized, or maybe we've realized that there's some spots of our life or some areas of our life that we're still operating as king. Lord, I pray that for those people that we would turn those things over to you right now. That you would do work in the seat with us right now. That we would turn those things over to you so that we aren't holding on, Lord, the way that we have been in the past and the way that, honestly, God just hurts our life anyway. So, Father, Help us. And Lord, I pray for those of us that aren't quite there yet, we're not quite ready to either place you in position of king or maybe there's some areas of our life we're still not ready to give you. That's okay, you move at our pace. Lord. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, give us the courage and strength to place you in the proper place as that gift of gold represented you as the king. So God, we love you and we praise you. And the church said, amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, do not do this alone. Connect with myself or Pastor John after service because this is meant to be done as a group together. So would you guys please stand and sing our final song?